Vasudevasutam devam Tansujanuramardanam Devaki paramarandam Krishnam vannev jagat guram Hi and welcome to Season 3 of Gita Girl. My name is Sharmila and the Gita Girl podcast is about how to live skillfully and be the best version of yourself by using the advice in the Bhagavad Gita. Jai Sri Krishna Shaila. Jai Sri Krishna Sharmila, and hello to all of our new and returning listeners. We're thrilled that so many of you have joined us on our journey so far. We have 6,000 downloads and counting of this podcast. And That's that amazing. It is. It's exceeded our expectations, and we're just so, so thrilled that um, people have found this podcast to be helpful and useful. It's all we've ever really hoped for, and we look forward to this next third season. You know, we've all experienced a lot of anxiety over these last 18 months, and of course, we've all experienced anxiety even before that, and this whole season will be devoted to reducing that anxiety. I'm often surprised when people talk about mental health in hushed terms and with stigma. It's just surprising to me having read the Gita and studied it for so many years because the Bhagavad Gita, which was written 5,000 years ago, is all about mental health. I mean, at the start of the book, Arjun literally has a panic attack and sinks into a depression when he's faced with the diabolical task of going to war against his family which is really an analogy of our panic and despondency when we face our own challenging situations. And then the rest of the book is Lord Krishna talking to Arjun and giving him an epic therapy session where they literally discuss all of Arjun's issues and Krishna gives Arjun and all of us, of course, the tools to face our challenges. So mental health is so incredibly important and the entire basis of this book, the whole stigma, the whole like, let's not you know, talk about it, not, not address it. it. Yeah. Nobody has mental health issues. That's not something that's even really part of our culture. Yeah, or not, religion. Not talk about it exactly. And how lucky all of us have access to Krishna as our therapist for so, free. Yeah, absolutely. So when people feel ashamed, don't be ashamed, guys. Arjun was a demigod. He was literally half man, half God. And, and he even had he, issues. Right. And even he had major issues. Just want to put it out there. It's okay. The main thing is to tackle them. That's right. That's, That's right. the main thing, to just deal with them and then restore yourself to the maximum optimal functionality you can. Thankfully, we have this great book to guide us. The Gita is all about resilience managing anxiety, to take the right actions in our lives, to fulfill our duties and the tasks that we face. That's everything that the Gita is about. So what are we focusing on today? The first technique Lord Krishna gives us is do your best and leave the rest, which has two components, which go hand in hand. We've talked about what it means to do our best, to stay calm, practice equanimity, not overreact, do everything as an offering to the universe, to God. Then we'll continue to talk about how we can maximize our performance, right? Absolutely. But in order to do our best, we must leave the rest. Let go of our anxieties, our worrying. And we all want to be free of this. We all want to be free 
the cage in our minds, my anxiety, I don't know about anybody else, but over the last year and a half, two years, just my anxiety is through the roof. And of course, even before that, right? Like we had mm-hmm. anxieties and worries before mm-hmm. COVID. And I think we can all see how that really does get in the way of us doing our best and being the best versions of ourselves. But we're stuck in the sort of cycle, right? It's hard to stop those behaviors. And I'm really looking forward to hearing what Krishna says and what the Gita says about how to really leave the rest. What does that really mean? And how can we actually do that so that we can do our best? So today I want to talk about the concept of detachment. It's one of the most misunderstood and maligned concepts in Hinduism. When you bring up detachment, people say, well, how am I supposed to detach from my kids? How am I supposed to detach from my family? How am I supposed to stop loving them? Often people think of detachment as a state of uncaring, unloving, unaffection, and generally being disengaged. That's right. You think that the the goal of Hinduism is to reach this place where you're an island unto yourself with no... um, emotional attachments to anything or anyone around you. And you think that that's sort of the goal and it's impossible to think of. Like most of us have attachments to family, to friends, and it's just inconceivable to think about not being emotionally connected to them. Right. And most people think, oh, it's about creating distance between yourself and something else. But the opposite is actually true. How does it work? In the Bhagavad Gita, chapter 17, verse 18, Lord Krishna says that anything we do which is done with the object of gaining something, respect, honor, admiration, anything we do with an end result in mind, okay, our mind and efforts are unstable. He calls them unstable and transitory. What he means is we're fragile and have much less resilience and fortitude this way because our focus, our self-worth, our self-esteem is based on the result of our actions, which in reality is completely out of our control. And I think we all have examples of this. You know, if you're doing a work project with the goal of impressing your supervisors or impressing your coworkers, and you get to the end of that project and nobody's impressed. (laughs) It didn't go the way you wanted it to. And you are overcome with sadness. You're overcome with disappointment when the way we should look at it is that you're just focused on that action. You're not worrying about what's the outcome. You're not worrying about what it's going to be. You're just doing, you're literally just doing your best in that moment without any expectations of what the outcome is. And it's hard. I mean, just saying that out loud is, it's difficult, right? Because it's hard not to think about part of the goal being how others will perceive you. But you also see the flip side when you don't get that particular outcome that you're waiting for. It is disappointing and it's frustrating. And Lord Krishna calls it unstable and transitory. And then you don't want to keep going. You're not ready for the next task because you're overcome with that sorrow. That's right. And even maybe the flip side of it, if you get the adulation and you get the praise, 
you know, that's also in Krishna's words, transitory, right? But you get used to that kind of cycle of that adulation and your pride is tied up in it and you've set yourself up for disappointment if you don't get that in the future, right? Exactly. Lord Krishna says in chapter 14, verse 16, so this kind of mindset, when you're attached to the result, these kind of actions always result in sorrow and disappointment. It's not the result that's making us unhappy. It's the expectation that makes us unhappy. I think it's so important to differentiate between the result and the expectation. So in Buddhist philosophy, this is called clinging, grasping. It's this yearning, craving for a particular result, and it's the source of all sorrow. This yearning, this craving, according to Krishna, reduces our capacity to think clearly. So it lessens the chances of you acting in the right way to actually yield the desired result. It's true. You're so focused on what the result is going to be and what you hope that it's going to be. It steals Mm -hmm. your energy and your time and your effort and your focus. Most importantly, your focus. And we've talked about this before, how doing your best takes a lot of focus and we have a finite amount of it. Paradoxically, the more attached you are to the result, the more anxiety and irritation you will experience, and therefore, the worse your performance is going to be. This clinging, this attachment distracts us from the task at hand. And so the irony is that the more you're able to separate and remove yourself from the result and from yearning, clinging to the result, the more you're actually able to stay connected and focused on the task. Therefore, making the right decisions, taking the best actions, and maximizing the outcome. That's not to say you can't enjoy the outcome fully. Lord Krishna is like, please, enjoy the outcome. Just don't get attached to that feeling because it'll pass. There's a definite strong link between detachment and the reduction of anxiety. We have anxiety because we yearn for a particular outcome, which may or may not happen. So we become anxious, worried, and that affects our performance. And then we become even more anxious. So it's a vicious cycle. So how do we accomplish this detachment? Chapter 2, verse 47, where do your best leave the rest comes from. Lord Krishna makes a very important statement of fact, which all of us struggle with. Yet it's the truth. He says, your right is to work only, but you don't have any rights to the fruit. He literally saying here, we have no right to the results of our actions. And if we have that attitude that I do not own the results of this action, I have no right to it. Imagine how freeing that would be. Everything would be a gift. Everything we get would be like, oh, this is fantastic. I have no right to this. This is amazing. This gift, this is a gift because I have no right to it. But the opposite is true. We all have massive egos. I did this, therefore I deserve that. You know, we forget that all the different factors that went into creating that particular outcome, that's why you don't own it. You're not the sole contributor to whatever that outcome is. You're only in control of your own actions. And so you don't own the fruits to that. 100%. 
as you said, Shayla, so much else went into the contribution of your action. Let's take an example that our listeners can relate to right now. Shayla, you and I, we could say that you and I created Gita Girl and we're so proud of ourselves and we should have such a big ego because we have now 6,000 downloads and we way surpassed our expectations and aren't we the greatest. However, the truth is I don't own the success of Gita Girl. I don't and neither do you and I'll tell you why. The software that you and I are using right now to record it I didn't create that. The equipment I'm speaking into and the headphones I'm wearing right now, I didn't invent, nor did I produce that. The chair I'm sitting in right now didn't make it. The meal I ate before recording to give me energy, I didn't harvest the vegetables I ate. The intellect I have right now was largely created by my teachers, the books I read, the education my parents made sure I had. I mean, the list, honestly, is absolutely endless. The building I'm in right now, the elevator I took to come up, billions of factors that have gone into and still go into creating Gita Girl. The only thing I own is the effort I made. That's the only thing that belongs to me, which is honestly just one part of so many components which goes into making a podcast. How can I let my ego get ahead of me because I'm only one part of a whole? And that's the truth of every accomplishment of every human being on this planet. Lord Krishna says that the way it works is I did this action, therefore I created this karma. This amount of karma, and I'm I'm showing an inch here. The result will come to me in the way the universe decides. And when the universe decides and how the universe decides is appropriate. But our egos are so massive that we think that we know how everything should shake down. I know how this should go down, but we don't. Talking about karma, it also relates to our past lifetimes, thousands of lifetimes, as well as what we've done in this lifetime. And maybe that's part of the factors that you're not in control of. You know, when we talk about all the contributing factors, like I was just thinking of only worldly things, but but maybe our karmic account is part of those contributing factors that impact the outcome that you don't have any control over. Absolutely. I have a brilliant example of the mind shift we need to make to accomplish this detachment that actually came up in class from one of my adult students. Thank you, Kalindi. It's by Kalindi. Thank you, Kalindi. She said, she goes, oh, I get it. She's a parent. She goes, in parenting, there's a difference between these two mindsets. I want my child to be polite. My child must be polite. That's being attached to the outcome. A hidden statement in there, the next part of that statement is, no matter what, my child must be polite. So therefore, in order to instill that politeness in your child, you are willing to hit them, berate them, shame them. Do anything and everything to make sure your child is polite, okay? Which a lot of people think is a valid form of parenting. That's the way to be attached. And every time then your child is not polite, you get upset and angry 
because they're not polite and you want them to be polite and they must be polite and it's a reflection of your parenting. Damn it. Bitch is impolite. You're going to have to edit that out. <laughs> I, I can leave it in. Bitch, you got to be polite. <laughs> um, but do, do you know what I mean? I do. They must be polite. And then you're going to berate them, hit them, be mean to them. And also yourself not exhibit polite behavior. How can you? All common sense has now gone out the window because you are fixated. My child must be polite. However, the detached version about teaching politeness to your child is my duty is to teach my child to be polite. It's such a tiny yeah. difference. Yeah. Even like a tiny tweak of your language, right? The difference in how you feel and how you treat that situation is huge. But think about it. My duty is to teach my child to be polite. Full and stop. the different compared to I want my child to be polite. Correct. Which is a focus on the outcome. In this example, you're just focusing on your action. I'm going to give them the skills and the tools to be polite. What they do with that is what they do with that. I'm not focused on their polite behavior at the end. I'm focused on just teaching them. On what the your action to do is. That right on now. what my action is. I'm focused on my duty is to teach my child to be polite. So I've taught my kid to be polite. And, and I catch my child being like incredibly rude. Okay. Then I won't berate them and say, what's wrong? What the hell's wrong with you? Like, why aren't you polite? I will still deal with them in a polite way and model polite behavior. I will say, okay, what is my duty here? My duty is I need to teach my child to be polite. So let's discuss what happened here. Let's discuss in a polite way what he or she could do differently and my duty to give her maybe additional tools rather than shaming her and making her feel bad that she wasn't polite, which really isn't going to help the situation. Help You're not yeah. modeling good behavior and it's no. certainly not going to be motivating right. to the child. But here again, for you, you're always focused on your own actions, right? In, in this example, you're focused on your ability to teach your kid those skills. That's doing your best. And when the child falls short of that prescribed behavior, you're following your duty again, still teaching your child these behaviors, you're correcting their behavior, but you're not so invested in what that outcome is. And how your child actually behaves is not in your control. You have to accept that you did your duty and that was all that was required of you. This is far more relaxing to our nervous system and our body and gives us far less anxiety and irritation and anger and allows us to then carry on with our duty in a much more nonviolent way. The right mindset is it's my duty to teach my child to be polite. The end. That's right. This is so hard because so much of my perceived um, role as a parent is to mold my child into the image of what I want it to be. It's 100% outcome oriented, right? And what that makes me lose sight of is that that soul was entrusted to me to take care of, to put in an optimal environment, but that soul will make their own decisions, 
Correct. Their own choices. Mm-hmm. They have their own karma that's impacting their outcomes that I don't have control over. There's so much in child rearing that you don't have control over, right? Like your partner's influence, your family and friends influence on their child, their peers influence the environment that that child is growing up. There's a myriad of factors that influence the outcome of who your child is going to be, what choices they're going and to also, make. And also the tendencies they were born with, who Absolutely. they actually are. Their personality. And so right. to try to mold them into this person that you want them to be, it's not only unfair to them, it's profoundly unfair to them, of course, because they're they're not there to be your vision. But it's also setting yourself up for profound disappointment when they become the person they were meant to be. And it's not a reflection of what you wanted, maybe. It's tough. Though. And, and this is tough. It's very tough. It's very tough. But the most important concept to understand is that our anxiety comes from attachment to the results of our actions. And again, to your point, it is with the best of intentions because we know what the potential um, is. No, you think you know what the potential mm, is. You're right. You think you you're know right. what the potential is, but you don't. You should you're be right. focusing on your own duty and maximize your fulfillment of that duty and let go of the thoughts of the potential of what you That's think right. is the person. You're not God. I'm not God. That's right. You're we right. all think we are in yes. our lives. We know exactly how we want this to go. It's true. That's true. Yes. So it's letting go of that. That's Just right. focusing on what I need to do in this moment. And am I fulfilling my duty as I think it's prescribed to me? Okay. Lord Krishna says that Once we renounce ownership of the results of our actions, peace immediately follows this renunciation. He said, let go of the clinging, grasping that I did this. He said, once you renounce the ownership, that you didn't actually do it, you just did your duty as you were supposed to. He says, this peace is a reward in itself and this peace lowers your anxiety. And then it actually allows us to have the energy and brain space to think clearly, to stay focused on our task and our duty, to accept the outcome and still stay resilient and positive for the next task. So let me ask you a question if we're going to use this politeness example, because we've talked about how if that outcome isn't reached, it could lead to disappointment and frustration. Mm -hmm. But what about the opposite? What if you're focused on your child being polite And you get a lot of praise for your kid being polite. And you take pride in that and joy in that and happiness in that. Is that wrong? That's a brilliant question. Krishna says in chapter 12, verse 15, he says, you should free yourself from joy, envy, fear, and anxiety. He says, Free yourself from that. Now, what he means... Joy being the first word. Right. Mm -hmm. What he means is not that you free yourself from experiencing joy. Joy is fabulous. Lord Krishna loved joy. He invented the rave, by the way. Lord Krishna invented the (laughs) rave. I'm not joking. Where he would dance on like a platform in the middle of a party and have the gopis like dance around him. He said, experience joy, but be freed from that joy should be the motivation of your action. We want that feeling of pride. We want that feeling of, oh, 
people should adore me and people should respect me and people should honor me for my skill as a parent. He says, if that's your motivation, you're screwed. Yes. Because that in itself is going to give you anxiety and give you anger and frustration and disappointment and sorrow and paradoxically prevent you from doing your best and actually achieving it. Your motivation should be, I have to fulfill my duty and that's it. Does that make sense? Does that absolutely? Answer I'm trying to I'm trying to reflect on it. And I think, you know, when people compliment um, my kids, sometimes I do think, oh wow, that that that's a reflection of my parenting. And you're right, it's the wrong thing because people always compliment Rayvon how polite she is, and I and I take pride in it. But when she doesn't behave that way towards me, I get very upset about it. But if I think I've done my duty, you know. If I just take joy in the fact that we've modeled good behavior or maybe taught her a few things, but the truth is it's just really who she is as a person and her, whatever karma came before her, her attitude, her personality, like really it's most of that. It is easier for me to detach. It, it really, it like sort of just clicked with me for the first time while we were talking about it. And I just felt so much fear about it. I really did. And that's not to say that you're not experiencing the joy. Yes. It's almost like when you see a good performance and you enjoy it, but you don't have anything to do with it. It's really a little bit like that. Like it's almost like I've allowed myself to see that I have a little contribution, but a lot of it, it's all this other stuff. I'm enjoying the fact that she's a good human in this moment. It's almost like I'm watching it from afar. Like it really is what happened. And honestly, it just really clicked within the last 45 minutes. But it, it is such a great feeling. Yeah, I have yeah. to practice it. But it, just even seeing it for that moment, I was like, okay, this is how you view things yeah. moving forward. That was okay. a little bit of a mini revelation. So thank you. Oh, you can experience that joy. But you have to also acknowledge that the ownership of how your child actually behaved was not entirely because of your parenting. It was teamwork. It was your parenting. It was the child. It was all the millions and billions of different facets that the universe created in that moment for your child to be polite. That, what you just said there, makes it so much easier to detach from the results. When you're attached to the outcome, that's a big variable. I don't know, it could go a million different ways. And if I'm constantly attached to to that outcome that could go ways that I can't control, then I'm just being pulled in different directions according to what that outcome is. But if I'm only going to base my joy in the things that I can control and doing my best in this moment, it's a sure thing and it's sustainable. Right. Sustainable. I like that. As you said, Shayla, earlier, it's not an easy thing to do and it needs practice. Without practice, nothing can be achieved. And Lord Krishna says everything starts in the beginning. So start small, build up that muscle, as we always say, and keep practicing, keep detaching from the result and focusing on what you've got to do. That's our podcast for today. So thank you for listening to this first episode of our third season. Um, And as we mentioned, this whole season will be about dealing with anxiety. So we look forward to you participating and listening in on the next um, few podcasts that we have coming up. And just a reminder to check us out on our Instagram page, also on Facebook at Geet the Girl Podcast. Our website is geetthegirl.com. And we welcome your email and your thoughts. Um, So message us on Instagram or Facebook.
Facebook. Send us an email at keepthegirl at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and what topics you'd like to hear more about. Thanks, everyone. Jai Sri Krishna. Jai Sri Krishna. Vasudevasutam devam tansujanuramardhanam devaki paramarandam krishnam vannev jagat guram 